helping you live well, stay well, while keeping pace with today's rapidly changing healthcare environment. That's Summit Medical Group. And now it's time for SMG Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. Heart attacks caused by a blood clot that blocks one of the coronary arteries can be fatal. Prompt treatment is crucial, and here to talk about the management of heart attacks with emergency cardiac intervention is Dr. Kenneth Miller. He's a cardiologist with Summit Medical Group. Welcome to the show, Dr. Miller. So tell us about some signs of an impending cardiac arrest. What would people, and and give us the differences also with women and men when they are experiencing these symptoms. Uh, Sure. You know, the classic uh, symptom of a heart attack or an impending heart attack is uh, discomfort in the chest. Um, it often travels to the to the left arm, to the jaw, or to the upper back. Occasionally, uh, the discomfort can just involve the jaw or the arm or the back and not the chest. Sometimes it can involve the upper abdomen. Other times, uh, symptoms could be more atypical, uh, such as shortness of breath, nausea or vomiting, or just a feeling of fatigue or even a feeling of impending doom. Um, most people have symptoms that are fairly typical, but there is a significant minority of patients that have relatively atypical symptoms. And women are more likely to have atypical symptoms than men. And diabetic patients are more likely to have atypical symptoms. A good rule of thumb is that if you're feeling some sensation in your chest or thereabouts, or in any of the other places I mentioned that you've never felt before, it's a good time to be concerned and to seek medical attention, often uh, promptly. Um, Some associated symptoms, one that I didn't mention, is sweating. If you're sweating along with uh, those other symptoms that I mentioned, for no apparent reason, that is a a suggestion that something something could be wrong and you need uh, medical attention. Dr. Miller, would there be symptoms two weeks before, three weeks before, anything that would send them to the doctor to see you before the actual arrest takes place? Absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, probably about 50% of patients who have heart attacks have no warning symptoms, or at least no warning symptoms that they have recognized as such. But the other half of patients will have warning symptoms, and that can often be similar but more transient discomfort or any of the other symptoms that I mentioned. Um, One uh, sort of scenario that should really alert somebody is if they're having any symptoms with activity. Previously well-tolerated levels of activity, such as walking to the subway, doing housework, walking up and down stairs, if you are developing symptoms of chest discomfort, more breathlessness than usual, or the arm, jaw, upper back scenario. Now, that's happening with predictable levels of activity and especially uh, gradually um, decreasing levels of activity. That is a a red flag um, and uh, really warrants prompt evaluation. And it's much better to be cared for before the heart attack happens than during the heart attack. Absolutely. And if we're experiencing any of these symptoms, 911, the first call, if you are alone in experiencing these symptoms, calling 911 right away, what is it you do? Take it from there. We've called 911 
whether it's a loved one's called or we have called ourselves, what is what happens next? Okay, so somebody is experiencing symptoms like that. And in other words, not just you've walked up the steps, you had a little twinge and you've gotten better. In other words, you're sitting there watching TV, your chest starts to hurt, it's not going away, you're sweating. You call 911. Um, um, an ambulance with, <clears throat> with trained personnel arrives and you're evaluated uh, rapidly uh, with a history, in other words, uh, eliciting the symptoms, um, an examination, and then most importantly, an electrocardiogram. And the patient is then transported rapidly to the nearest facility. Often, uh, the electrocardiogram can be transmitted to the emergency room physician, so the, uh, the tracing can be reviewed even before the patient arrives, and that can speed the, uh, um, the system that leads to the most effective care. Is it reversible in some victims if it's treated within a few minutes? Is this something that you can sort of stop in its tracks and then tell us what treatment, once they get to the emergency room and see a cardiologist such as yourself, then what happens? Absolutely, and that's, um, that is one of the major advances in cardiology in the last um, 15, 20 years. Uh, basically, when the patient arrives, the electrocardiogram is done, and again, as a combination of the electrocardiogram and the examination, the symptom complex, the emergency room physician determines that this is highly likely to be a heart attack. And what a heart attack is, is a sudden occlusion of a coronary artery with a blood clot. And that occlusion results in a loss of blood flow to the heart muscle and injury often irreversible to the heart muscle if it is not reversed. And the best acute treatment for that situation is to open up that artery as fast as possible. The first way that was done um, probably 25, 30 years ago was with certain blood clot-busting medication, uh, streptokinase, tissue plasminogen activator, and, and medications such as that. Um, around the same time that those drugs were being developed, coronary angioplasty was developed. And eventually the technologies converged and people realized that the best way to open up an artery during a heart attack was directly with a balloon and now with a stent. And because of the availability of that technology, the knowledge that opening the artery promptly is the best way to treat these patients that has become the treatment of choice for patients acutely having a heart attack. So when they arrive in the emergency room and the determination is made rapidly that they have that problem, there is a, a process in place at hospitals that have this service. Um, the, 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 um, the operators are called and they know to call the cardiologist on call for this sort of procedure. And, that, and that's one of the things that I do. I'm on call for this probably on the average 15 to 20 days a month. I'm on call for this a lot. I get called, and I'm immediately available. I come in. The staff that um, works in the facility that this is done comes in. Technologists, nurses, an anesthesiologist comes in. And even if it's a, if it's a hospital without cardiac surgery, a, an ambulance crew comes in in case the patient needs to be emergently transferred to another hospital. And 
you know, very rapidly. I see the patient, speak to them, find out, you know, crucial information that needs to be obtained before the procedure, brief examination, and then off to the cath lab, put on the table, um, you know, sedated by the anesthesiologist, and then the procedure ensues to open the artery. And that's the, the goal. The goal is to, and the standard that um, facilities like this uh, work by, is that less than 90 minutes should elapse between when the patient comes through the door of the hospital until the first balloon inflation. The 90-minute door-to-balloon time, and that's sort of gospel in this endeavor. After the angioplasty, Dr. Miller, then what is the post-care? And now, you know, back in the days, they would, you'd lay in bed if after a heart attack for a long time. Now you get up right away, even the day of, and get them up. What about post-care? What is your best advice for listeners post-cardiac arrest? Well, this again, this is not a cardiac arrest. This is a, a heart attack. A cardiac arrest sometimes complicates a heart attack. Um, some, a, a small subset of patients with heart attacks may present with a cardiac arrest, but most heart attacks are not cardiac arrests. And there are other reasons to have a cardiac arrest besides heart attacks. But, again, we're talking post-heart attack. Um, you know, the patient, again, they have the stent put in. They are, are transferred to the intensive care unit. If everything is fine, they're monitored there for about 24 hours. There is certain testing done, um, usually an ultrasound of the heart to look at the heart muscle. Um, the patient's rhythm is monitored to make sure that there are no rhythm disturbances which could lead to a cardiac arrest. Um, blood work is obtained to make sure that there were no other um, associated symptoms. The cholesterol levels are measured. Um, and the patient is generally treated with certain medications that improve their prognosis as time goes on. And, you know, there are several medications that are used. Um, one class are certain blood thinners, aspirin and medications like aspirin, which inhibit the platelets in the body, which are little blood cells that promote blood clotting. So patients are put on aspirin as well as one of several other um, antiplatelet drugs, which are stronger, and those are standard therapy after a stent is put in. They prevent the stent from clotting off. Um, generally, most patients are put on cholesterol medications, and actually, by, by recent guidelines, even if the cholesterol isn't elevated, everybody with coronary disease gets a statin drug. That is the current guideline. They may be put on other medications such as beta blockers, which reduce the um, adrenaline input to the heart, and a class of medication called ACE inhibitors, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, which also um, are plaque fighters. They improve the prognosis after a heart attack, as do beta blockers, and they um, allow the heart muscle to contract with less resistance. And that those those classes of medications are given because they improve the prognosis after heart attacks, meaning there have been studies done and event rates are reduced, events being death, recurrent heart attack, or need for further procedures. So most patients are put on these medications because they are greatly beneficial. Um, patients are referred to cardiac rehabilitation to uh, get a jump start into an exercise program. Generally, if everything goes well, the patient will go home in about three days. And 
subsequently um, followed in the office, because I've been um, doing these emergency procedures for many years, if you look at my uh, office roster on any given day, there's always several patients that I met in this emergency setting. Um, and basically what you do is you monitor them for further problems. You monitor the effects of the medication. At, at intervals, you may reassess them with stress testing to see if any further blockages have developed. You may assess them with an ultrasound of the heart to look at the heart muscle. Some patients who've had a heart attack, if they've had a certain amount of damage more than moderate, may require a defibrillator place to prevent, actually to prevent them from succumbing to a cardiac arrest. Um, you know, even though we put these stents in, urgently, not everybody ends up with a normalized heart muscle. Some patients still end up with weak heart muscle despite what you've done. Uh, it may have been awful, it may have been much weaker if you had not put the stent in, but uh, in certain situations you need to check the heart muscle at three months to see if a defibrillator is needed. And then, you know, on an ongoing basis, when a patient is stable, uh, they're seen um, generally every six months, check cholesterol levels, check any potential side effects of the medication. Um, lifestyle changes, one of the most important things is for patients to stop smoking. Smoking is the most hideous thing you do for your health. It's you know, everybody knows that, but, you know, unless you sort of do this every day, you, 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 you can't imagine how, how true it is. And every effort needs to be made for, for patients to stop smoking. Unfortunately, despite heroic efforts, many patients do not stop smoking. It's, it is incredibly addictive, and it's, it's very difficult to get patients to stop smoking. But you know, I would say we're probably successful about 50% of the time. It should be better, but I, I think it's the nature of the beast. Um, patients are encouraged to lose weight and to exercise regularly. Um, that, I think, we're a lot more successful with. Um, and then, of course, you know, maintaining a healthy diet, low-fat, you know, high-fiber, high fruits and vegetables, whole grains, you know, that sort of thing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Miller, for such great information. And for more information, you can go to summitmedicalgroup.com. That's summitmedicalgroup.com. You're listening to SMG Radio. I'm Melanie Call. Thanks for listening.